0: Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, May 10th, 2020, we continue our series titled, Live Different, the Sermon on the Mount. Today's sermon, The Golden Rule and the Narrow Gate, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. Enjoy. Well, good morning, church. It is great to be with you. Thank you for spending some time with us on this Sunday morning, whether you're watching right at nine o'clock or right at one of our our other service, 1045, we're glad that you're choosing to spend some time with us this morning. This morning, we're going to be back in our study on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. Before we get into that, I do want to introduce you to someone very, very special. It is the, a sixth member of my family. I want to introduce you to my new daughter. Her name's Evangeline Joy. Um, she is beautiful. She's healthy. Everything went just according to plan, um, This is the the day we actually brought her home. Our boys wanted to get fancy for her, so they dressed up. Um, She's healthy, she's happy, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for the kind words, the encouragement, the food. Man, thank you for the food. Uh, We are excited for her to be a part of our family, not just our family unit. We're excited for her to be a part of our church family here at Highlands, So as I said this morning, we are back in our study on the Sermon on the Mount, and this morning we're actually going to begin the end of Jesus' sermon. Yeah, we're going to begin the end, and the Sermon on the Mount is arguably, probably the greatest sermon that's ever been preached, and this morning we're going to begin the end of that. Let me read it for us real quick, and then we'll pray, and then we'll hop into what the Lord has for us today. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12 through 14, it says this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Let me pray. God, thank you for um, the opportunity to, to gather. God, we know we're not gathering in the way that we're used to, and we're not gathering in the way that we prefer. But nonetheless, this morning, God, we know that your church is not a brick and mortar building, but your church is a body of people. And God, whether we gather remotely from different locations or whether we gather in person, God, we know that your word is proclaimed and that your son is glorified. So God, today I ask that you would bless our time together, um, God, that you would bless our worship, that you'd bless our time in the word. God, would you open our, our ears so we can hear the word like we've never heard it before? Would you open our eyes so we can see it? Open our, our minds so we can know you. And, and as a response, God, we ask that you'd open our hearts so we can love you and love others the way that you've asked us to. God, we love you and give you everything that's said and everything that's done in this service today. And it's in your holy name that we pray, amen. We see in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven, verses 12 through 14, two commands from Jesus, two commands which is gonna form our outline. So two commands, two points in our outline. The first point and first command in verse 12 being this, obey the golden rule. Obey the golden rule now, before we move forward, I actually want us to move back and pick up some context for why this um, command that Jesus gives us holds so much weight. So do this for me, take your Bibles, go backwards, rewind Matthew chapter five, real quick, verses seventeen through twenty to give us a better picture of, of what 's going on here, beginning in five seventeen. Jesus says this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. This is stuff in the Old Testament. Jesus says, don't think that I've come to do away with the whole thing. He actually says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I'm not doing away with anything. I'm actually accomplishing and fulfilling everything the Old Testament talked about. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, not a letter, and not a punctuation mark will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, in other words, whoever undermines or throws out the Old Testament, he says this, will be called least of these in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom. Verse 20, Jesus says this, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Right off the bat, in the beginning of this sermon, Jesus started making some really bold claims, some very bold claims, some bold teaching. I haven't come to throw out the Old Testament. I've actually come to accomplish the whole thing. I've come to accomplish the law and the prophets. We get to the end of the sermon in Matthew chapter 7, And we see this picture where people are just shocked. They're astonished at the message Jesus just gave. Apparently he had gotten their attention. It says they had never heard someone teach with such authority. So at the end of the sermon, we get this picture that these people, this crowd, they're just hanging on to every word. And as Jesus preaches this bold message with all these bold statements and bold claims and bold topics that he teaches about, people are just listening, listening, listening. And there's a lot of big things he talks about, a lot of hard things he talks about, especially when it comes to how we're supposed to treat and love other people. Just real quick, some things that Jesus has covered. He said, don't be angry and don't curse at people. Don't look at anybody with lustful intent. Don't divorce someone without a biblical reason. Don't make false promises. Don't retaliate. Love your enemies. And we just saw him talk about not judging other people wrongly. Now that's a lot to digest in one sermon. And remember, this is one sermon that Jesus is giving this crowd. So we get to verse 12. And what verse 12, the golden rule, really is, it's a summary statement of how you and I are supposed to teach or treat other people. He spent all this time talking and all this time teaching, all of these really difficult things for us to digest and do in our life, so Jesus summarizes it all in verse 12 when it comes to how we're supposed to treat other people. Verse 12 says this, so, the same thing is saying therefore, because of everything that I just said, and Jesus isn't just saying just this last chunk of the message, because of all these things we've been talking about when it comes to how we treat other people, He says this, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Remember chapter five, Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill them. And now he says, so here's a rule you can live by, here's a really good Christian ethic to summarize everything. Whatever you want someone to do to you, do that to them, because this is the law and the prophets. This is what it all boils down to. And we say we understand this. We say we understand a lot of things in the Bible, but understanding is different than obey. We know that to be the case. Christians are really good at memorizing Bible verses. Christians are really good um, at, at looking through the scriptures to quickly find a verse that talks about something that we're going through or something that a friend is going through. What a lot of Christians aren't good at is actually doing what the thing says, We actually look at Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus asks this question. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say? In other words, it just doesn't add up. It doesn't make any sense. You call me Lord, but you don't listen. So here's what I want to do with the golden rule this morning. I don't want this to just be more lingo we don't live. I want us to understand it so we can obey it and actually put it into practice in our life. So let's break this down. The first thing he says, whatever you wish others would do to you. And he gives us zero examples here. He just says, whatever you wish others would do to you. So think of a situation. Like for real, right, right now, think of a situation maybe this morning, an argument you had with someone or this last week, a point of conflict that you had or, or really anything. Think of that situation and, and apply this principle. What, what would you want someone to do to you in that situation? Whatever you would like others to do to you. And then he says this, do also to them. And this works both in the positive and in the negative. When it comes to your Facebook posts, do you want someone to yell at you You don't? Then don't yell at them. When it comes to your relationships, you want someone to encourage you. You do. So then encourage them. It's a really simple, not easy, but simple rule that we can put in place into our life. If you don't want it done to you, don't do it to someone else. And if you do want it done to you, then do it to others. And then he boils it down and says, for this is the law and the prophets. This is what it all boils down to. Later on in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, um, a big shot teacher of the law came to Jesus and he asked him this question, not with pure motives. He was trying to trap him. He said, what's the biggest law? What's the greatest law in all of the Old Testament? And this was Jesus' response in Matthew chapter 22, 37 through 40. And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, not just some of it, all your heart, with all your soul, not just some of it, with all of it, and with all your mind, again, not just some of it, with all of it. This is the great and first commandment, and the second's like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. It's that same golden rule principle embedded into the great commandments that God has given us. Love God, love people. But how are we supposed to love people? We're supposed to love people as ourselves. And then verse 40 says, on these two commandments, what? Depend all the law and the prophets. Again, he boils the whole thing down to two things. Love God, how? Love him with everything you have. Everything inside of you, that's the love to which we give our Lord. And then he says, love people. But how should we love people? What's the degree to which I should love those around me? And he says, love others as yourself. Treat others like you would like to be treated. And this isn't just a Jesus thing. We could look all over the New Testament and see um, the Apostle Paul, for example. The book of Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Don't just live your life for you. Don't look out for number one all the time. Jesus says number one is actually whoever is standing in front of you at any given moment. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, humble yourself and count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to your own interests. It doesn't say don't look to your interests. Don't look only to your interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We oftentimes look over verse five. Have this mind among you. This is the mind of Christ. This is the mind of Christ, the most important person in all of human history who has ever existed. Jesus himself humbled himself and considered other people more important in the moment. See, that's why I know that you and I can do this. If we give our life over to the Lord and the mind of Christ becomes our mind, then you and I can treat other people like Christ treated them. We can humble ourselves. We cannot look to our own interests. We can uh, cast aside our selfishness. We we can be humble and look to the person across from us and treat them the way that we would like to be treated. The golden rule is this. Whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. So what does this look like practically, right? We don't just want to understand this rule. We actually want to obey this rule and put it into practice in our life. Here's some practical examples. Let's talk about parenting for a minute. Your kid gets hurt, and this could be physically hurt. This could be emotionally hurt. How do you respond? Well, if you're hurt physically or emotionally, how would you want to be treated? Would you want some compassion? Would you want some empathy? See, this rule becomes really practical when even interacting with our children. You've got a kid in front of you crying about something, and maybe it's a big deal and maybe it's not. That's irrelevant. How would you want to be treated in that moment? Man up! Is that the way you'd want to be treated? Just because that's the way someone spoke to you, it doesn't mean it's the way that we should speak to others. Treat others the way we would like to be treated. We think of our marriages, and honestly, most of the arguments my wife and I have, um, they're about petty, trivial things. Rarely is it about big stuff. It's about where do the shoes go? Right? Where, where, do, where are the shoes supposed to be stored in our house? In my opinion, my shoes are stored wherever I take them off because I want them accessible at all times. Um, my wife's different. We've got cubbies. <laughs> we've, got, we've got bins. We've got shelves. We've got places for the shoes. How should we organize the fridge? I have a very clear way in my head I think we should organize the fridge. My wife has a clear way in her mind as well. And here's the deal. Neither of those ways are wrong. I don't think we're going to stand before Jesus someday and he's going to say, but how did you organize the shoes? He's not going to care. But in that moment, how am I treating my wife? Again, we're just talking about opinions, but in that moment, how would I want my wife to treat me? And that's the way I ought to treat her. We think of business, man, you're the boss and you're leading this meeting and it comes to light that the reason a job didn't get done was because so-and-so dropped the ball. Okay, how are you going to treat that individual in the meeting? Are you going to publicly berate and humiliate them? Do you want to belittle them? Well, ask the question, how would you like to be treated in that moment? Would you want to be encouraged? Would you want to be given grace? And I'm not saying there's no consequences for our actions. We learn from our consequences, but if there's consequences needed, how would you like those consequences delivered to you? Let's talk about uh, social media. Maybe a good student example. Man, one of your friends um, on Insta or TikTok, they're trying to be cool, but it just wasn't cool. like it was really corny and kind of dumb and they did not look cool the way they intended. And you saw the video, your friends saw the video and a few minutes later in a group chat, someone brings it up and they just start gossiping about your friend who's just trying to fit in. Do you add on to that? What do you do in that situation? Well, what would you want done to you? Would you want a friend to nip it and stop or would you want them to just continue on the gossip? And it's not just big things. This could be little things as well. Man, you're in the checkout line at the Safeway. Right? You know how sometimes there's a person in front of you who's got like 4,000 things in their cart, and you've got two? And you're thinking like, this is pretty obvious. Can't you just let me go in front of you? You have 4,000. I got two. Let's just be amiable about it. Let me go first. That's what you want in the moment. But then when you're that person in line with 4,000 people, like you're number one, even if the person behind you has two things. But what do you do in the situation? Man, what would you want someone to do to you? Do it to them. This gets really practical and really difficult. You're looking for a parking spot. Man, it was beautiful like last week and now suddenly it's 110. It was nice, now it's not. It was pretty, now it's hot. I don't get it. Okay, but you're, you're pulling into church when we can all be together again and it's really hot outside and, and you make it to the parking spot a little bit before the other person. What do you do? What would you want done to you? If you were that second car, would you not want some grace and someone to say, yeah, go ahead? I mean, this is, it's a simple concept that's really difficult to live out. It's a radical way of life that could totally transform our lives and transform the life of our church. This is a different way to live, but Christ has called us to live different. That's what we've been looking at this whole series, how Christ calls his people to live different. You know, later, in, and we look at the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 35, um, Jesus actually tells us that people will know us by our actions. They'll know we are, are Christians by the love that we have for one another. John thirteen thirty-five says this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. Now, we are seemingly about to enter into a season that we haven't been in in about a month or month and a half, where we can finally go out and shake hands and hug and be with each other once again. People have been starved for human interaction, and now they are going to be getting more human, human interaction. The question is um, what are people going to see when they see you? When people interact with you, are they going to see the love of Jesus? Are they going to see someone different? Are they going to see someone who's committed to not just understanding what God's word says, but someone who's committed to obeying and doing what Christ has called us to do? Are you going to practice this golden rule? We have a golden opportunity to live out the golden rule coming up, and I would encourage each of you, look for the opportunities that you can love like Christ has called us to love. So whatever you would have others do to you, do so unto them. This is the law and the prophets. It's Jesus' summary for everything he's just given us when it comes to how we should treat other people. It's the first command, obey the golden rule. The second command is this, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. Jesus is gonna lay out two gates, two paths, two audience sizes, and two destinations. And, And really what he's calling us to, he's calling us to make a decision. He lays out... Two options, not a third option. There's no middle option. There's this path and there's this path. There's this gate and there's this gate. There's this destination and this destination. Enter by the narrow gate. And then he describes the gates. He doesn't just leave us in the dark. He lets us know what each of them are like. He lets us know where each of them are going and lets us know who we can expect to see on the way. The first gate he talks about in verse 13, he says this, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. We've got a wide gate, an easy path, that leads to destruction, a lot of people on it. So here's what I want to do. I want to break down each of those things. Okay, why is it wide? Why is it easy? Why is it destructive? And ultimately, why is there so many people? Well, why is this gate so wide? One, it's, it's so wide because it's the default gate that every single one of us enters into apart from Christ. This is the gate that all of humanity enters. Romans chapter three, verses 10, 11, and 12, it says this, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, they've gone their own way. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. In other words, they're on the wrong path. They're on the wrong path. Again, there's only two paths in this thing and all of these people, they've entered through this wide gate. It's the default position of each and every one of us and why do I know it's the default position? Because we don't have to teach evil. That comes natural, right? That's why Jesus is telling us not to lie. That's why Jesus is telling us to not be vengeful. That's why Jesus is telling us to not break our promises because we do all those things he tells us not to do naturally, I don't have to teach my kids to hit each other. I don't have to teach my kids to lie to me. We just do those things on our own. It comes natural and there's, this gate is wide because so many people are going through it because it's natural. Why else is it wide? Well, it's wide because there's no rules and no expectations. Uh, the gospel that this wide gate preaches is just you do you and let other people be them. Don't infringe upon other people's value systems. Don't make value judgments. Just Do what's important to you and let other people do what's important to them. It's fine. Why is it easy? Well, one, it's easy to find. We don't need to look for it. It's just there. This path, this way, this is the way of the world. It's just the way that things work all around us. You don't have to look that hard to find it. Its moral boundaries are so wide, you can just do whatever you want. So the gate's wide, the way's easy, but Jesus says this path leads to destruction. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9 says this, Jesus, or the Apostle Paul talking about the end when Jesus comes to judge, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed, again, we're talking about future when he comes back, from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, We're not talking about temporary discipline. We're talking about eternal punishment. It's away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. We're talking about eternal judgment, separation from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And then finally, why are there many? Why are there so many people on this road? Again, this is the road that all humanity travels apart from Christ. And it's full of people, and it's full of uh, anti-religious people, it's full of non-religious people, it's also full of a lot of religious people. Again, we fast forward towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, these people are like, man, didn't we do all these great things for you, Jesus? And then Jesus says this, I never knew you. I never knew you. These are religious people who say the right things, who do the right things, but they have no real relationship with Christ. This is the first way, it's the first gate, it's the first road, it's, it's wide, it's easy, but its end is destruction and it's full of people. He also lays out a second way. Verse 14, he says this, for the gate is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Those who find it are few. Let's ask those same questions. Well, why is it narrow? Why is it narrow? Well, one, it, it really narrows our thoughts and beliefs as Christians, as followers of Christ, we're not just allowed to believe whatever we want to when it comes to things of, uh, of faith and, and, and things of what's in God's word. It, it's, I had a friend this week tell me it's this narrow. This is how narrow this gate is. I'm allowed this much freedom within what I believe about God. And, and it's, I know that sounds exclusive, but it is exclusive. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father apart from me. Now, it's exclusive, but Christ is still made a way. He's still made a way for us to live an abundant life. He's still made a way for us to live a joyful life, a full life, a satisfied life. But all those things don't come from walking through the wide gate and the easy way. They come from walking through this narrow gate into a relationship with Christ and even walking this hard road. How else is it narrow? Well, it narrows our understanding of God. I can't just think anything I want to about God. The Bible tells me who God is, and this is who God is. We don't have the freedom to be polytheistic, where we think there's lots of gods out there. We don't have the freedom to be pantheistic, where we think everything is God. I'm God. You're God. The chair's God. The dog's God. The cow's God. God is in everything and everywhere. That, that's who, we don't have the freedom to think that, nor can we be atheistic, thinking there is no God. It's narrow because God has given us the boundaries and the guidelines for which you and I can believe. It's narrow in our affections and in the things that we love. Deuteronomy 6 5, we're told to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our might. What can I love with everything? I can love God with everything my deepest affections, my greatest desires, the uh, the greatest longings of my heart, those things should be for Jesus, not for other things. So this road is narrow, this gate is narrow. It's also narrow in conduct. That's what we've seen throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount. Christ is giving us a better way to live. He's telling us how he wants us to live our lives. So yes, it is a narrow gate, but we can't just look at the here and now. We look at the destination, and we see later on this destination is life. How or why is it hard? Well, one reason walking this way and living this life is hard is because persecution. Being treated poorly because you're a follower of Christ. Matthew chapter five, verse 10 and 11, Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Blessed are you when people utter all kinds of evils against you on his account. John chapter 15 verse 18 Jesus encourages his disciples he says, "Hey, if they hate you, remember they hated me first." This is a hard life it can be. It can be difficult. But the difficulties we face in this life are no match for the glory that we face in the life to come. Romans chapter eight, verse 18 on your screen says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The Christian life is hard, but the Christian life is worth it. It's also hard because of sanctification. The sanctification process is difficult. Jesus describes it like this in Luke chapter nine, verse 23. And Jesus said to all, if anyone who would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily dying to yourself, denying yourself, sacrificing your own wants, your own desires, your own will, your own agenda for those of Christ himself can be difficult. This is a hard thing that you and I have to wake up every day and choose, who am I gonna live for today? Am I today gonna live, am I gonna live for Thomas or am I gonna live for Christ? Christ. The Christian walk of being sanctified and molded and and shaped into the image and the person of Christ is a difficult way to live, but again, it's worth it. It can also be hard because it's lonely. If we look at Luke chapter six, it's a parallel passage to the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 22, uh, Jesus says, one of the most common ways that you and I today um, are persecuted is just through being excluded, through being left out not invited to the office party, not invited to the family picnic, not invited um, to the hangout after work or, or, or to the hangout with your friends at the gym or your hangout with your classmates because you're that weird Christian. You're that Jesus freak. That's the way it comes for you and I most living here in America is through exclusion. It's also difficult because of trials. I'd encourage you, we're not gonna do it now. Later on, go back and look at James chapter 1, verses two and through four, We see that we encounter trials to grow our faith, that God uses trials, difficulties, tribulations, so you and I can become the people that God wants us to be. But again, it's not just about the here and now. If all we do is we look with a perspective of all that matters is right now, then we'll live with an earthly perspective. But remember, perspective determines priorities. So if I look future perspective of eternity, man, what's eternity gonna look like? Then I'm going to prioritize my life here and now about what life is gonna be like then. And that's what Jesus promises next. Where does this path lead? Jesus says this path leads to life. This is the path that leads to life. Remember Romans chapter three, twenty-three: for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But a few chapters later, chapter 6, verse 23, it says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is this, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Someday you and I can stand face to face, total glory, completely glorified with Christ. That's where this thing's going. So while the gate that you and I are choosing to walk through is narrow, and while the path that that you and I are choosing to walk is difficult, and while at times that path may be lonely, friends, that path is worth it because at the end of the road, at the end of the life, it's Jesus. That's what we're living for. That's what we're walking to. So if there's difficulty going on around you, if there's trial, tribulation, persecution, I'd encourage you, don't look at the things off on either end of the path. Keep your focus forward with our eyes fixed on Jesus because that's where this thing is going. In conclusion, I just want to ask us two questions around both of those commands and both of those um, sermon points we've seen this morning. The first question is this, have you been practicing are just understanding the golden rule. Has the golden rule become one of those Christian cliches, one of those trite sayings of the faith? Or is it a lifestyle? Don't just say, Lord, Lord, but not do what he says. He's calling us to something greater. He's calling us to live different. And friends, if we would embrace this type of love, if we would embrace this type of caring, if we'd embrace this type of attitude for whoever Christ puts in front of us, where we would say, however I would want to be treated in this situation, that's how I'm going to treat you, it would totally transform your life and it would totally transform the lives of people around you. It would transform the life of our church. May you and I not just understand, but actually obey and apply this golden rule to our life. I'd encourage you as a simple exercise over the course of, uh, of just your daily walk this week, ask yourself this question in any situation you face. How would I want to be treated? And then treat the person in front of you how you would like to be treated. It's practicing the golden rule, not just understanding it. Then the second question is this. Which way are you on? Which way are you are you on? Which gate have you entered through? And it is important that we get the order right. Jesus gives us a gate. He gives us a decision. Which gate are you going to choose to enter through? There's the default gate. It's wide. It's easy. It leads to destruction, but there's a lot of people going. Is that the way that you want to choose this morning? Do you want to live the way that you've always lived apart from Christ? He offers a second gate, And this is the gate, he says, enter through the narrow gate. It is a narrow gate. In fact, if we look elsewhere, John chapter 10, verses seven through nine, Jesus says this. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. Jesus is the gate. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Later on, John chapter 14, verse six, Jesus says this, I am the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, this whole walk is about Jesus. The gate is narrow. Jesus says, I am the gate. The way is hard. Jesus says, I am the way. And and, and, and there's, there's life. It leads to life. Jesus says, I'm also the life. All of life is meant to be all about Christ. So friend, I ask you again this morning, which way are you on? Which gate are you choosing to enter into? Would you embrace Jesus? Would you walk through the gate? Would you walk through the way? Would you live a life that pleases Christ? And at the end of the road, you and I can someday stand face to face with Christ himself. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you um, for making a way God, you have made the way for us to have relationship with you. Jesus is the gate. He is the way that we enter to you. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. God, we thank you that we can live a life with your son, Jesus Christ, and that someday we can enter our final destination of eternal life, complete glorification, complete relationship where everything will be made right again, life with you. God, for those this morning who are maybe on the fence, um, unsure about what they want to do next, unsure if they want to walk with Christ or not, God, I ask that you would um, encourage them now to connect with somebody. God, whether it's through connecting via InfoCentral after service uh, or shooting an email to one of the pastors or one of the staff, God, I ask that you would impress that upon them so we can introduce them to a relationship with you. God, help us now apply these things, not just understand them, but actually do them. And may we respond appropriately in worship of your son, Jesus. God, we give you everything we've said and everything we've done this morning in this place. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Highlands Church, we serve an amazing God, and he has made a way for us, for you and for me, to enter into right relationship with him, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. He loves us. He cares for us. May you and I embrace that love and exemplify that love this week as you and I seek to live out the golden rule. I love you guys. Love one another. I'll see you soon.